0: Welcome to another black in a box, podcast about black spaces.
1: That's not it. <laughs> one in two, one in two you get right. One in two you get right. <laughs> no, don't, now leave the, it in, <laughs> Not a no. leave it in, leave it in.
0: <laughs> Welcome to another black in a box the podcast about black faces in white spaces. Ooh, feeling the heat, feeling the heat. How are we Joe, you good? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make him
1: laugh too much. I man. can hear it on his chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've not been very well, take me out yeah. to the glue factory. Like, I'm done, it. I'm done out here. getting <laughs> my free bus pass and my dominoes, I'm, I'm finished.
0: Are we good on the other side?
2: Yeah, man, all good. Good. I've had my shots today. Kenya next week. Oh wow! Yeah, big time, big time. Kenya and Zanzibar. So I'm ready. Good to go. He trips. Yeah, big visits. the big visits are coming up, man. Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna get my toes
0: out. It's gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief! He's touching the homeland.
2: It's Res- about time. Respect. Four years since I was last out there. So mm. all good.
0: Yeah. That moment of silence was for Ali. She's not here. <laughs> yeah. But what we do have is a guest beloved by algorithms. <laughs> <laughs> a rare cross channel, cross channel, cross Atlantic, transatlantic multi athlete star. Eh? You sounded very
2: Yorkshire that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Pro rugby, <laughs> the NFL, and now the Bar Council. Mm. Mm. A former Worcester Warrior. Pittsburgh Steeler, Harlequin, and I can say personally, one time, Ushuaia two-stepper. Oh, <laughs> that <was> a... <laughs> That's the real him. Uh, <laughs> from the bench to the pitch to the bar. It's Christian Scotland Williamson. <laughs> Woo! What an intro, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is uh, gonna be a special one for sure. I was, I was up crafting those bars still. That's the best <laughs> intro I've heard, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah.
1: You <laughs> crafted those bars, but could not remember the world is told where black faces and white faces <laughs> <laughs> That's where the energy was going. <laughs> We're just the punchline yeah <laughs>
0: I, was just like, I was like right where are my clips at <laughs> yeah i mean you've gone the whole way around the world to come about seven miles from where you're born
3: yeah not far not far born born in um south woodford uh whips cross hospital
2: mm-hmm.
3: july 93 you know uh but went to school in high wickham so it was a very different experience kind of going from there then at 11 i made the decision to go to boarding school um didn't really like any of the schools around me. Were you? Uh, RGS. RGS High-Wickham.
0: Elliot O'Brien, he used to live with him. Yes, Yeah, I think yeah. Was he was a year older than you. Yeah, yeah. Above. Said you're a good boy, said yeah. you're a good lad. A good <laughs> 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 uh,
3: That's what you have to say, at least. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been good. And then obviously having the opportunity to play overseas, play in America, um, and play America's sport, it was absolutely insane coming from humble beginnings mm. in uh, Woodford. And knocking around in Leighton Stone playing basketball with my brother and stuff like that. So it's um it's been a journey. I
0: mean there's a lot to talk about. There's a, a lot to talk, about. to talk about. This is it. And I think when the when there was a possibility of this this because basically having like us creating this platform, it's just like, okay. Who were potential sort of guests, and your story was always like a. I thought if we get a chance to, yeah, to talk about that, it's gonna be a good one. And to be honest, it's good we've done it now because since then you've added about three chapters. So, <laughs> it's, been, it's been busy. You know, it's definitely been busy. Exactly, exactly. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm sure we can say this now. You, you got engaged recently. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats, bro. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. Go on.
3: Yeah, bent the knee in California. Um, Two weeks ago, actually.
0: Yeah. Wow, oh, it's fresh. Sensational. Yeah, real fresh. Amazing. Real fresh. Sensational. Good stuff, man. I, I I didn't have that down, but it just that was passed on to me by mutual. I was like, yeah, I need to get that in. Oh, what you've else? been
3: on socials. You've been stalking. I like it.
0: No, no, this was this was this was face to face, bro. This was I, I you know, little birds. Yeah, I'm out here. Ear to the, the ground. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's you know, that's through our NFL Academy people. Oh wow, so yeah. you got proper connections. Yeah, bro. it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually, uh, w- originally J-Bell was like, can I come on? I was like, no, Christian's coming on.
3: Oh, wow, Let that'd it, be something, especially homegrown. Come on, you know. Yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm lying,
0: I'm lying. <laughs> just trying to gas, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, as I say, a lot to talk about. Um, let's let's start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Rugby, unintentional.
3: Completely. I was playing in goal. Uh, no, I was playing defense and mm. I grew too much and put on too much weight. So they put me in goal and my team was quite good. So the balls were always at the other end. So then I just sat down in goal. My coach was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, well, I'm just standing here in the rain. I might as well sit down. It's not going to come to me. Um, <laughs> so then I kind of got kicked off the team. Uh, this is a primary school of uh, class of 20 kids. So obviously... You're gonna be short on eleven if you're kicking your, like, <laughs> one of the players off, and then basically I couldn't rejoin the team unless I apologized. But I said, "What am I apologizing for? I got bored. Like you're not using me how I want to be used." Mm. And then, especially with like my older brother's four years older than me, my dad was a boxer, uh, my brother was playing football at the time, athletic family, and I was just bored. So I was like, "Well, I'm not apologizing for something that I'm not really remorseful for." Yeah. And then I never rejoined the team. And then one of my um Dad's friend. One of them
0: difficult blacks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the place. Yeah.
3: Uh, one of my dad's friends said uh, go down to your local rugby club. Next thing I was scoring five tries a game. I was like, okay, this is fun. Okay. <laughs> what club was that? Uh, Eaton Manor in Wanstead. Shout out Eaton Manor. Yeah, shout out Eaton Manor, the originals. <laughs> and
0: from there What how do you end up joining Worcester?
3: Well, this is a good one. So I was never in um, never in an academy. I've never played county rugby, never played Southwest. I've never had so much of a conversation with an academy manager until my final year at Loughborough. Mm. So I was just turned 20. I actually didn't play at all in my second year. Um, grew out of love with the game. I think there was a conflict when I went from playing schoolboy rugby with my mates that I'd played with from year seven, who are still my best mates now, mm. to then knew that the professional dream wasn't really a reality i was going to uni for um academics rather than for sport ended up going to loughborough which obviously a good sporting yeah. university but i'd always played for fun because professional was never a dream so then i got to university then you know university rugby teams what it's like mm. played my first year i was in the fresher team uh bucks two which is loughborough's third team yeah i've always been in a team and stuff like this and the the culture of the club at the time in terms of what the senior players were like didn't really agree with me yeah. um so in my second year I uh, decided just, i didn't want to play wanted to just have fun for myself um enjoy university mm. and then it was only before my final year where i realized if i don't play now i'm never going to play again because i was applying for um grad schemes in finance actually at the time mm. and I wasn't going to be a weekend warrior that's getting black eyes at the weekend turn up at the desk on monday mm, um, yeah. that just wasn't how i was set up to play um so then the coach because i hadn't played in that second year said go away do a preseason somewhere else i went to barking rugby club did a month with them. This this
0: when you are at Loughborough?
3: This is when I was at Loughborough that, yeah, in the office. Alan
0: Buzzer was it still?
3: Huh? Was it wasn't
0: still Alan Buzzer then? No, no,
3: no, it was uh, Dave Morris at the time. Uh. Um, Said so go to Bark, uh, so I'd go to your local rugby club. So I went to Barking, um, which like a decent-ish standard. Um, and then did a month with them, came up for Loughborough Performance Squad training. And then by the October, um, Worcester needed a stand-in for an A-League game. I was actually on my way to York to fit gym platforms with ESP is like a part-time job that I used to do. Got the phone call, drove back down, picked up my boots and my gum shield, drove to Worcester um, with one of my mates, played. Head coach came up to me afterwards, said, "I really like your game. Uh, come back next week." Came back the following week, and then I think three weeks after that, I signed my first professional contract in the change room for my debut, and I scored.
0: It's 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 insane. Yeah. <laughs> like there's so many things you said about people that play university sport and this isn't unique to rugby just how much of it is is the right person making that call for you unless you can put yourself in a position that you're you can speak for yourself Mm -hmm. that's obviously what it was for you then it's like it it was undeniable obviously Mm -hmm. at that point but without being in any of those systems you went passed on and then passed on and then passed on Mm
2: -hmm. Can I just say there as well, right, you, you really made me feel like I, I really ain't shit because, <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got to be honest, there was parallels up until the end of second year because I did the same thing. First year, went up to uni, playing basketball, my sport, was in the third team, I was like, right, okay, got into the second team, second year starts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Got injured during pre-season was like, I'm going to enjoy my second year. I'm going to chill and enjoy. And I never came back from that. <laughs> I not once came back from that. So that's the right way to do it, yeah.
1: What was it about the culture um, in, that, in that first year that, that didn't agree with you? Uh, my parents always taught me to be an island. Um,
3: and I think what was expected in terms of conforming to club culture and the socials um, never really sat well with me. Mm. Um, and, So rather than get involved in any back and forth where because I'm a fresher or first year, I've always treated everyone how I want to be treated. And outside of that institution, just because you've been there two more years than me, doesn't mean you can talk to me any kind of way. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a real problem for me. Um, And I guess it was an adjustment where first year, well, I'd lived away from home since I was 11, so that wasn't a problem. But um, first year at university, kind of finding your feet and things like that. And I realized that what rugby had always meant to me, which was playing for fun with your mates. I was suddenly bouncing between uh, two or three different teams, whether it's like Bucks one, two or the fresher team. And I realized that the mates I have are gonna be there anyway, regardless of if I play. Mm. Um, so the sacrifice in terms of compromising who I wanted to be in that space wasn't really worth it for that second year. Then I came back in my third year because you're top of the tree. So no one's really gonna tell you anything. Mm-hmm. And um, so it wasn't as much of an issue of, even though I'm bigger than anyone who talked to me, someone talking down to me just cause they're a third year and I'm a first year.
1: Yeah. Um, so that was, that definitely played a part of it. Yeah. There's like- I remember the first time somebody tried to say, shut the F up fresher to me. And I literally just looked at him and went, this is not gonna go how you think. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like this is, I'm just, like I've, I've, come, I've gone from, I was playing for Canterbury when I was like 18, like they had a really good system where as a junior, it didn't matter if you were like the God's greatest gift, you're gonna play the fourth team. Mm-hmm. The fourth team was the first team from 10 years ago. Mm. Um, if you do really well with that, it, they'll put you into the first team squad, which comprises the first and the second team. The third team is exiles, that's the uni students. You just wanna turn up and play on a Saturday. So I've gone from playing with guys who are weirdly like my sort of age now, um, to then playing with the first team squad and then being told to like, shut the F up fresher. I'm like, but these guys wouldn't even have said that yeah, to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and then I also made the decision not to drink in my first year at university. Like I'd had a year out, um, I got to university and I saw some very young looking people drinking way too much. I was like, I, I I'm just not interested in that. So I'm really interested, because obviously I would have thought that Loughborough being, Loughborough's got this kind of reputation as the sporting Mm. university. So to hear that they still have those same like, it's always like the guy that was like a second team captain at school and like his whole goal in life now is to be the social secretary of the of the rugby team at university. They're the worst people because it's like they- I keep being triggered, like, man. I was uh, I was social secretary. shooting at me. That was you. That was me. That was. <laughs> me. That was <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> there's all kinds of indirect. Stuff yeah. in yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, no, I, find, I, find, I like that. I like, so you just you just moved away, but you must have still been working out because it's very yeah, difficult to go now. from kind of not playing any rugby yeah. to mm. three weeks later. By the way, I'm yeah, Worcester need a need a yeah, guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll be honest, I was always,
3: uh, cause I've grown up in a training family, so I've always trained. Um, and I like to say I'm, I'm sport agnostic, but if I I'd, if had I'd had a collision sport that was different to rugby on my doorstep, like American football, I would have played that. Mm. Um, my brother played basketball, so I played basketball with him when I was younger as well. Um, but I kept training in that in that year out, I was I was in great shape mm. and um, just being around that training ecosystem that is Loughborough. Like I learned so much when I was there, but just from tagging along with a few of my mates who'd been in academies when I wasn't and just seeing how they trained. And then just um, training's always been a good way for me to blow off steam. Mm. So I always say like, I can't be angry if I'm tired. Uh, I don't like being angry. So mm. I, I, I expel that energy in my training. Mm. Um, And so in that second year, while I wasn't playing rugby, I was still going to gym regularly, um, even putting myself through tour days for for no reason, sometimes just to get in good shape. Mm. Um, And just having that outlet and being around that environment, And then I only got my shot because I was fourth choice going into that final year. So um, A-League plays on a Monday and Loughborough have a national one side at at that time that Mm. played on a Saturday. So I play intermittently for them, but not really. Um, the promise of elusive game time that never materializes. Mm. Um, and then I was fourth choice, so they needed the other three locks for the Saturday game. So then I was next one who wasn't needed. So then that's the only reason why I went. And if I didn't pick up that phone call, then none of the rest of my journey happens. So it's a real sliding doors moment where you are really one decision away from a completely different life. Like I picked up the phone and at that time playing a league when I'd never played county, never had any England rep honors when I used to go to the camps and be like, well, I can play like that. There's nothing Mm. different between Mm. me and that person. It's just opportunity and being at a bigger private school Mm. where I was at a state boarding school. Um, and so having that opportunity to actually get that platform to get in front of someone who I was very fortunate in Dean Ryan, who saw me, as he said, ripping up trees on the pitch where I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know any of the calls or the plays, but, I was physically dominant in the game Mm. and that's something that you can't really teach. Mm -hmm. And then you can mold that into something. So where all of my peers who are playing at that stage have been playing in a structured setup from 14 years old and I'm playing six years of catch up at that stage and I'm physically dominant, but I'm missing a few of the technical aspects Mm. potentially, but I've still got a good awareness of the game, good dexterity um, and great physicality that you can't replicate. Mm -hmm. That's what got me my shot. And what um, I find hilarious is the fact that I had one start for the national one team while I was the first player in the club signed to a professional contract.
0: <laughs> honestly, like it's 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 funny. Like, And I know later on it, you did the interview with the, with the Guardian where you were saying you were just answering the phone on the off chance someone was calling and it sounds like that's been really present throughout mm-hmm. your life, the different opportunities. I mean, you always say, stay ready, See so you don't have to get ready. Mm-hmm you're assuming you started saying that after second year <laughs> <laughs> and not when you needed to learn the that's, hard way not that one. <laughs> say that, but when, when I was at Northumbria they used to they'd come down the Falcons would come down and pick out lads on the team to, to play f- for like the A-League and I mean those lads were getting subbed off after 12 minutes and they never played again so you were obviously good enough so yeah. it's like the opportunity was there you were ready for the moment and you took the moment um so just on your schooling, like you, you mentioned that you went to you went to RGS and then you decided to go elsewhere, or you no, went I stayed to, at RGS from uh, um,
3: year seven till uh, uni. Okay, so what for secondary school?
0: What was the choice? Why did you Why did you make that choice to, to go? Yeah, uh,
3: it's funny. My mum didn't want me um, to go, but I saw so my brother was getting chased home um, from school. Uh, a lot of racism in the school. Um, a lot of bullying. Uh, that was, now when you look back at it, horrendous. Um, That could really change how you view life, I think. Uh, And I knew at an early age, I think I've always been blessed with like a a vision for what I wanted in my life. And I knew that it wasn't that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as well as playing rugby, none of the schools around me really played rugby. And at that time I was, um, well, I think it was just, yeah, just after England won the World Cup as well, getting into it, really enjoying it, enjoying my club rugby. Good school, had to pass 11 plus to get in um, and would give me uh, avenues that were different. I've always Mm. been someone who wanted to have something for myself that not everyone else had. So everyone in my primary school is filtering out to the local areas, uh, local schools. And to be honest, I didn't wanna go to school with any of them um, Mm. either. And this gave me a chance to have um, good education and play, play rugby as well as it allowed me to not have to worry about all the extracurricular activities I wanna do and then mm. bother my parents for picking me up. And I saw the sacrifices my parents were making in that regard. So I said to my parents, I said, if I pass the exam, um, can you find the money for me to go? Yeah. And so I passed the exam and then it was down to them to, to do the rest of it. And luckily mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough that they um, were able to do that for me and, and sacrifice for me. And I think that's what's underpinned everything, even with the playing side, where my parents sacrificed for me to have an education anything I did with my body was up to me and my choice. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was a boxer, brother played basketball, rugby was my thing and American football. So it's not like I had someone to follow in any of those areas that I've chosen to pursue with my um, athletic career. But in terms of the education piece, um, my both my parents from the Caribbean, uh, yeah. born here, my mum's youngest of 12 um, and only her and one of my uncles were born in England, The rest across the Caribbean, so yeah. Dominican, Antiguan, and then my dad's Guyanese. So all of them came to this country. What is it? You beat about you, you yeah. education. It's all about um, a man with knowledge, unfit to be a slave. Yeah. So I've had moments where my dad's 6'6", six, six, and my dad always instilled in us, you're gonna be big black men and you'll be treated a certain way, especially because he was a police officer. He saw things that were happening to um, young black men and young black kids um, he was a boxer that used to get stopped by the police for doing road runs because running wasn't that common. So it's like, mm. why are you in a tracksuit? Why are you running? And mm. he's he's actually mm. training to fight for the police force in the police farmers, Olympics and mm. things like that. So um, the realities of racism were always impressed upon us in terms of how to navigate as um, big men, as well as having the hue and the pigmentation yeah. that we have and what that would mean in terms of how we're treated, in terms of the benefit of the doubt that you wouldn't have. Like I remember, I think even at my secondary school, I was 11 or 12 standing behind a teacher in the back of, in the lunch queue. And I was told that I was being intimidating because I was standing so close. I was like, what do you want me to queue? (laughs) Do you
2: know
3: what I mean? And and things like that, just because of my size, I was never treated, even though I was July born, I was never given the benefit of the doubt of my, let's say actual age. I will not say mental age, because I think I was quite advanced. but. My physical stature was in advance of my years and that always played into um, whether or not I was given the benefit of the doubt when it came to 50-50 decisions. And mm. More often than not, it wasn't the case. That
1: manifests on the pitch as well, uh, in terms of kind of, you know, don't, don't talk to me. Because I've seen it, like I coached. And um, I one of my bugbears I always say to Dan is, I've never seen a black fly half. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, is like, you, you're 6'8", um, but your dad, was, you know, good enough to be an ABA champion. So you obviously going to have elite hand-eye coordination, all of that. But you, I'm I'm interested in how you were viewed on the pitch where you were immediately thrown into the second row or did somebody go, hold on, if your dad's got this hand-eye coordination, maybe you can be a mutant fly half. Maybe you can be a center. Maybe you can be a fullback or was it just good engine on him? Let's get him in the forward. So I guess there's that part of my question. Then also, what were your interactions like on the pitch? And also, did you experience any... Kind of race him on the pitch. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in all of those. So I actually started off as prop. I was a tight head prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Tight prop. Have you always been like this tall for your age? Were you like the six foot I eight was, of like nine so year olds? From when I
3: was five to fourteen, I was same age, shoe size, weight in stone. Oh my goodness. So yeah, I was yeah. the same. <laughs> so every year, every year it was, it was bigger. I've Not made people grow at that kind of that kind of rate. And then as soon as I hit fourteen. Um, stretched out a bit more and then it was only when I got to uni I kinda of filled out more, but I've always just been bigger. I've always, mm. you can see in photos, I've always been like it, it looked like, <laughs> so looks like it looks like I've been held was back. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, you, especially when it's only um, either three person scrums when you're doing minis or mm. five person scrum. I'd move the whole scrum on my own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the whole one side's getting caved in um, while I'm wearing my shin pads with my got <laughs> <of> me. <Scottie. laughs> <laughs> Uh, but in terms, in terms of the, the, the racism aspect, not not really, to be honest. I think that rugby was always quite a safe space for me. Um, uh, the football team that my brother and I played for, the football club, I would say that there were things that I wanted to get away from there. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to, I guess, wanting to go to boarding school as well. I've always known where I felt comfortable and trusted my gut with decisions like that. Um, but then in terms of what you're saying about opportunity to play certain positions, A hundred percent, I remember going to school with one really talented player who was moved to fullback from fly half just because he was quick, but had great hands and was great distributor of the ball. Mm. Um, But then constantly, I guess I didn't really fully realize, but it's black wingers can't catch. If he catches the ball, he's going to run out around everyone. That Mm. was always the trope. When I got off the bus, it was like, oh, it's that guy. Because I think in year seven, I ran over someone in the neck race. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> I think the parent was the parent was like, There's no way that kid's that age. <laughs> um but then for because you you play against the Millfields, the Wellingtons, mm. the, the top private school circuit, so you and you play them every year as you go up, so you kind of know the similar faces. Mm. And so I guess it's that kind of what off brand banter that you kind of accept when you're in that environment because it was just quite standard. Um but then now looking back, it's it's wrong that players with the ability weren't given the opportunity at those young ages to really showcase their talent in those positions because mm. their trajectory could, could be completely different. Yeah.
1: And it, obviously uh, I, we have this conversation in the sort of shadow of the um, RFU survey on um, like race and diversity, specifically within the elite game that kind of said that elite players, elite black players uh, have experienced racism and obviously Luther Burrell's story uh, kind of came out and he obviously had, he's had this really interesting career and the way that it sort of ended with kind of eddie jones when you were listening i'm assuming that you, well i know you've heard lou story because i saw your you were kind of quoted in um the times report um was the stuff that he was saying did it resonate with your experience of being kind of in those elite settings oh completely
3: um i even uh, came out quite vocally uh in support of him because mm-hmm a lot of people will say that, oh, maybe that's just a one-off case. And, and I even said in my article, I didn't experience any direct racism in terms of my racial characteristics, but I, I saw other people being discriminated against. Mm. And that was by the performance director. Yeah. Um, and so if that's the person who's signing the contracts, yeah. who's making that happen, then what chance has everyone else got? And I even know um, part of the reason why I decided to leave and go to the NFL was from lack of opportunity. And that lack of opportunity was not born out of on-field performance whatsoever. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was, it was uh, constantly moving goalposts, um, things that were effectively, I think the la- when I had the last straw, I went into the, the um, head coach of the DOR's office and because I've been going in consistently, what do I have to do to play? I'm making team of the week from the bench basically, highlight role plays, uh, going viral, all this stuff. And I've just got no value in terms of this building. In term- so I've learned how to call line outs We can't really trust you to call (laughs) lineouts. Sorry. Show me the numbers to prove it, because the man used to go down the list with a ruler for your stats, and that's that was the original metric, Mm. which is this: how you play. Okay, in twenty minutes, I have this many dominant carries, this many dominant tackles. Oh no, it's now this. Okay, then so then the final straw was. Well, he's playing well and we like him, so
1: you're gonna have to just sit on the bench. <laughs> involvement <laughs> the reason the reason I, the reason I laugh when you said line outs is because it remind I was coaching um, a university in 2019, and we had this black uh, back rower who um, all he did was baptize people in tackles and carry like somebody had insulted his his family. And uh, we we did not have a lot of go forward. and every week when it had come to selection, I'd be like, why is this guy not playing? Um, you're asking me to coach. I don't have any say in selection because universities are weird spaces. Why is he not playing? So I was like, I-, I need to work out a way to get them to admit what they're not going to admit. So I said, right, why don't we say, they had their big game coming up. I said, why don't we say that it's, we're putting it all on this training. If you're, if you're not ready to territories in this training session, you're not ready to play. This kid kills everybody. Like just, he runs, o- literally ran over the guy who had his um, shirt in front of him. So I was like, well, he's got a playwright?" And then again, he was. He, I don't need to get all inside baseball, but he was a back rower, and they went. But um, I'm not sure. You know, he can't call the line out. I, I just, I just I was like in what world does does a back rower have to call? It's, it would be like asking. It would be like, "Well, Wayne Rooney's not really a good shot stopper. <laughs> Is that his job? Is that his job?" Yeah. And so I was laughing, and I was also laughing because I played semi professionally, and that thing that you said about moving goalposts. It was something that I experienced around my career. I, I I remember saying, "What do I need to do?" And it would always be some like that. And I laugh because they'd be like, "Well, involvements." Mm. And I'd be like, "But what what do you mean when you say involvements? Let's get it. Let, let's get to the bottom of it." And I thought that my experience was um, unique. You know, I was playing rugby in Yorkshire. It's national too. You know, I'm looking around. There's not lots of players that look like me. And it's only when I started talking to other people and going, oh, no, no, yeah, no, I'm not really quick, but I'm a winger. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm not really particularly powerful, but I'm six foot two, so I've played second row my whole career. And I'm like, why is that happening? You know, Eddie Jones got caught a lot of flack when he said the problem with English rugby is that it's too dominated by a small group of thinkers who are at independent Mm -hmm. schools. Um, And it self-selects yeah mm. but you went to you went to an independent school so i'm interested that kind of you're saying that that was some of the best happiest rugby that you played
3: yeah yeah definitely so uh, we played on the it was it was interesting so it was a uh, it was a grammar school so i i paid cause i live
1: far away so
3: i had to pay for the boarding as- aspect but the the tuition everything was free so everyone I went to school with it was just like going to grammar school down the road Right. Okay. Um, but we played on that um private school circuit against all the top teams So then you're going the the school's looking like hogwarts and you're thinking like oh you've got under underground heating on your first team pitch like, mm-hmm. what's this yeah um and so it exposed you to the realities of i've only ever been one of maybe three black players on a team mm-hmm. at any given at any given point um, and then you then take that into the professional game where a lot of the academies are founded and select from these private schools. So then they're looking for the things that like, almost like people like us, yeah. And then you get an anomaly that gets thrown in there, who in the professional, uh, when I was professional, I didn't go to any team socials that weren't like, say like bowling and stuff like that. Mm. Or if I did, I'd drive. Um, and I made a decision when I finished at Loughborough, uh, I just stopped drinking when teetotal. Um, for my career, just because I wanted to give myself the best chance. I knew Mm -hmm. I was already on the back foot and um, maximize my opportunity. But also part of that as well was, if I just say I categorically do not drink um, or I'd have a couple of drinks in the off season, then I'm not gonna get peer pressured into having one that then goes to two to three Mm -hmm. to four. And especially in that professional environment, I wanted, it's a job, do you know what I mean? It's ultimately a job. I have a small window of time to make the most of it. And so in terms of that independent school thinking when the coaches are selecting from what grassroots to them is like the bottom of the academy tree, it's like 14, mm. and they're involved with these private schools, and they behave a certain way, they speak a certain way. Even if you look, listen to um, some players' interviews, you can just cut and paste them. They're mm. all exactly the same. It's like credit to the lads, credit to opposition. Make this place a fortress. <laughs> like it's all the same because it's group think. It's, it, it's all. There's no diversity of thought, um, yeah. and I feel like that's a problem where then you get or three black players that sit together at lunch is like why are they all sitting together mm. when in reality you're not you're the minority in the space and so you only sat together like once every once in a while anyway because you get you get on with everyone because it's a team-based setting but then when that filters into selection and opportunities on the pitch based on perceptions of how you integrate with the team when mm. you get on with absolutely everyone but just because you don't um fully immerse yourself in what they might consider as being a, a true club man, suddenly you're a maverick. Suddenly you're, <laughs> mm. you're for want of a better word, the black sheep. Mm. Suddenly you're someone who can get all of their clips in a defensive meeting, be a highlight reel, basically, this is how you meant to do it, but then can't make the team. Mm. Yeah. Then how does that work? And, and and then that those goalposts moving, and then I think the opportunity came for me where I made that big tackle in a Sunday game against Wasps. And I've been making tackles like that my whole career, but it just so happened that it was right place, right time, right moment, got in front of some NFL scouts who then called my phone. And I thought it was a, a prank call, but similar to the first opportunity to have, it's mm. nothing I hadn't done before where I answered the phone and it changed my life. Mm. So I was like, let's pull this thread, let's see where it leads to. And at that time um, I was gonna move clubs and it. I gave the club I was at a, another opportunity effectively, I went in and I said, "What do I have to do to play?" and I was met with an answer that i wouldn't i, w- I didn't want to continue the season to be honest um, mm. i would have I would have been in an interesting situation mentally to be able to continue the, the season under those circumstances and still give my best where I'd had a, a significant injury and, and I broke my back uh, first year of my career, so I was out for two years and that's when I went back to school and got my master's but come back from that. The mental challenge of coming back from that as well as while that was going on being subjected to different treatment to what other players were and my life made more difficult and i only had four weeks off in four years that i was a rugby player as well um so just constant grind and just being on it as well as studying to then i can't even play you're basically telling me that no matter what i do i'm not going to start and my financial earning power as well business side does come into mm-hmm. it as well mm-hmm. if you're not starting and you only got, i've only got one premiership start to my name but a lot of people are fascinated by this stat. i've got one premiership start to my name and if you don't have a certain number of starts opportunities um highlight real plays then your market value gets suppressed mm-hmm. so then i've gone into them saying what do i have to do to play Goalpost kept moving so i said i'm leaving I, I, I just said I, I've had enough, and I want to seek opportunity over security, and go to what I valued as more of a meritocracy in the NFL, where it's day to day appraisal of what is your contribution to us winning. Yeah. Do you help this team win or not? Mm. And that's what matters, not the rest of the nonsense that were constantly dragging me from pillar to post about what I had to do to play. Mm. Those
0: like people that get it. those those post academy like first. Rugby union contracts are mad. Mm-hmm. Like those guys <laughs> at uni, on, like six grand. Yep. And I'm like, yep. oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No money. And because wow. you got trained so much, it's like I can't even get a proper job. Mm-hmm. So it's Blood like, cow. it's there. People are out there like struggling. Record scratch. Freeze frame. Alex Reader is laid out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh poor guy.
0: He's 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 just down, but your world is about to change. Being inside that moment, like how how quickly did it all sort of snowball into you landing yourself in IMG Academy? Shout out to the employers in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> um So
3: we're talking the tackle must have been in October. Phone rang like three weeks later or two weeks later. Um, and then the London games were on. Mm. Went down um, to watch Vikings Browns. Score was thirty three sixteen. Imprinted in my head. Yeah. Got given the full like recruitment. Like you're like Simba. This can all be yours. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> fireworks. Uh, pitch side. And um, being pitch side really made it tangible for me. I went yeah. with my brother uh, because I saw I matched up physically. It's yeah. diff- when you watch it on TV, the pads, the helmets. Don't get me wrong, everyone's massive. Yeah. But like, for me, seeing it in reality, I thought, no, 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 like, I, I'm matching up, I'm stacking up, I'm betting yeah. myself, I know I can do this. Mm. I know that I have the intellect to figure out the game. And mm. I'd been a fan of football anyway. And the strange, almost serendipitous thing about it all was when I was coming back from my back injury, because I was out for like 726 days between games, like a long time, um, I used to just watch America's Game, Football Life all of mm-hmm. these training documentaries about American football. So I could see people like me training in a physically demanding sport. Yeah. And I could draw inspiration from that. Cause I, apart from growing up, Jason Robertson, Paul Saki, do, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's slim, it's slim yeah. in terms of who am I looking at that I can relate to that's doing what I want to do at that level. Mm. So then I already knew a lot about the game. I was already a Steelers fan anyway, which is why it's very strange I ended up playing for the Steelers. I used yeah. to watch Troy Polamalu's uh hype videos before I used to go play when I was younger and stuff like this um and so then knowing what the game was like then going and seeing physically oh this is how big these guys are I match up physically my brother played college basketball in America for UAB and every time went out there I was getting scholarship offers like you gotta come play you gotta come play because I was huge and like you walk in the door and this just goes to show the talent identification process is so flawed in rugby, Mm. because how are you gonna have a six foot seven, 14, 15 year old who's playing first team rugby on the circuit they are selecting everyone from is mauling people, ripping up trees and you're not even gonna have a conversation with them. Meanwhile, I'm flying out to see my brother, I'm getting scholarship offers on on the spot, but I didn't wanna go because of that educational piece because I wanted to finish my studies Mm. here. Um, And college wasn't something that I really wanted to go to. I knew I'd be in like a safe space in London um or in England sorry going to Loughborough and it's it's so difficult to make it out of those college ranks where it's basketball or American football to make it to the pros that I wanted to value my education to at least I've got the piece of paper and then when the time did come later on I had something to fall back on that gave me the security to be fearless in my pursuit of playing American football because I knew I can just go all in on this and kind of burn the ships behind me because I'm not going to be destitute, yeah mm-hmm. so a lot of people when I was playing were saying like, "Oh, you can't focus on both, it's not possible, but actually, my studies are what gave me the security to play even more fearlessly, yeah. because I knew, okay, say this does I've had, I've had a broken, oh, sorry. I had a broken back, I've had nerve damage in my shoulder in my rugby career, um, a few other injuries, but because I knew I had something to fall back on. I was willing to go back into the fire. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Whereas otherwise I'd be a bit more kind of scared about like, oh, if I get another another injury, could this all be over? Then what do I do? Whereas the flip side of that was, okay, if I do get another injury, then I know what my plan is for the next thing.
0: Mm. Mm. And so after sort of moving out to, you went to IMG mm-hmm. and then you went to Pittsburgh, what was it like sort of, obviously you were coming from a, a professional training environment and then you went to IMG Florida where it's, uh, I imagine it's a bit of a hothouse. Mm-hmm. You then went in to the NFL environment. We treated, yeah, what we treated like, we treated like just, you know, someone who was passing through, like obviously they have the the, the practice squad guys, like what was what would, what would did everyone else think of you? Like, what was that whole environment like?
3: So IMG, um, so I got out of my contract in the December, had Christmas at home and then flew to IMG, I think on the 14th of January, uh, 2018 for like a crash course, three month camp, training six days a week, up at 6 a.m., last meeting finishing at 11 p.m. And that was six days a week, one day off. And you're just going, cause you gotta do X's and O's, football 101. Mm. I've, I've kept my notebooks and stuff. And some of it was step with inside foot, game ground. Like that's the level of wow. basic. Mm. And I'm about to go and try and fight for a job in the NFL off this (laughs) i mean (laughs) i'm trying to learn which which foot to step with so it's a steep learning curve um but did as much as we could in that img phase and and the guys that i train with we're like bonded for life because there's not many people who are trying to defy the odds which are so heavily stacked against anyone who's born in that country let alone an international player one of you
0: on a super bowl (laughs) yeah
3: (laughs) yeah exactly but then also speaking to that though is that now the international game is growing and this was still at the the origin point yeah. like that way it was still not proven out uh guys like fa guys like jordan malata hadn't really made it mm. and so it was still the unknown whereas now with like the international pathway program like it's kind of like the sacrificial lambs that came early which yeah. is you've got you got to prove out the process that it can happen and then now mindsets have changed whereas you walk into i remember i walked into the steelers walked past the um, six lombardi trophies go get suited up for your helmet. And obviously I was like a bit of a Steelers historian already anyway, mm. um, and real pinch yourself moment. But you've got no time to have a pinch yourself moment because you fly in at two o'clock medicals, get kicked out for uniform, team meeting six, six o'clock till seven, position meeting seven till eight where I've met my position coach, who's a 65, 66 year old guy from Alabama, who's been to four Super Bowls, one, two, only ever coached top round draft picks. He's never had to go from someone step inside foot, gain ground and Mm. you're about to practice in the NFL. Mm. And then he's dropped 80 players on your desk. And then the good thing was all nights cramming at Loughborough. Yeah. I was thinking like, okay, I've got to learn these hieroglyphics somehow. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next morning at 10 AM, you're going full speed with guys who are top college prospects. And um, you just gotta figure it out because you mess up too much. You get pulled, you're not gonna get reps and you're getting one, maybe two reps a period if that and so you might have in terms of actual snaps 10 for the day Wow! so you've got to be behind people watching and being able to learn from that until you earn your keep and then uh i, can't remember. I think it was juju said to me once i made a big play end of my second year uh oh no end of my first year or second year it's like see now you've earned your name otherwise you're just a number because it's mm. the, the turnover of players they should be like what's going on four nine and like there's no real incentive to invest too emotionally in some people who yeah. you don't think are going to be there for yeah. a long time mm. and especially me coming in big athlete people couldn't work out how the hell i sounded like i sounded because a lot of people had never met an african american english person before and i said i'm not <laughs> african-american <laughs> <laughs> and so you're dealing with those cultural changes as well as like living in a new country new city new job um one of the most highly pressured jobs you could probably have mm. for a historic franchise as a standard of performance and expectation. Then I've gone from playing for 12,000, 13,000, training camp, 15,000 watching practice. Mm. First game um, against the Eagles just after their Super Bowl win, mm. uh, probably like 70,000. Second game, Lambeau Field, 85,000. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a quick learning curve, but because I'd had, I guess, a smaller scale experience of that like zero to a hundred where mm-hmm. I've gone from, didn't play at all my second year, just training, fourth choice at Loughborough, two A-league games, packed out Friday night lights, 12,000 people score on debut. And I've just kind of learned to manage those nerves, but I was able to take it all in and savor it because I knew it was a experience that was priceless. You I just think- mentioned, just just quickly there, you,
2: you talked about this when you first stepped into the facility you're going to get suited up and everything. You don't really have time for these pinch yourself moments. Mm. With your career and all of these little points that you're talking about, surely you've got to take time sometimes to just take stock of what you've achieved and the circumstances
3: through which you've done it. When do you do that? It's tough, you know, like when I was in in America, I remember the Lambeau Field game in particular, because I knew how historic that ground was Mm. in terms of the history of football. When the anthems were going, fireworks went off. I was like, I, I took a deep breath. And I was like, mm. remember this mm. because like, this is one of those moments. And there were a few moments throughout my time in America I really stamped it in. Like we um, we beat the Patriots at home and obviously Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady was like a big back and forth AFC mm. yeah. um, uh, throughout history. And we beat him, we beat the Patriots at home and I was on the sideline for the game. Joe Hayden seals the game with uh, interception and I've never experienced an atmosphere like it. And then just the locker room afterwards, it's just, it's really hard to describe, but from someone who just watched, who never thought that I could even get to America to see an NFL game, yeah. to have a moment like that, um, there are quite a few moments where you do pinch yourself. But then the competitor in you and in me was, I was never content with just playing practice. Yeah, squad. Of course. I was never content with just being another role player, similarly to why I left mm. rugby. It was always, as as most betters are, I want it all. Like I wanna I want to play, I wanna win, I wanna make a big contribution to the reason why we win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of me has had to take some time because through injury, that's why I got released the day before yeah. training camp. Um, I still had another surgery recently for the same issues, nerve damage, so I've had like six surgeries for that now. Um, and so the physical toll and situations that I put my body through, which haven't, um, I guess, come up to proof in the way I would have liked to give me the opportunity to have the platform to really embrace my true athleticism mm. um, and embrace those moments. Those were difficult to deal with right. in terms of like the mental aspects um, when it did come to an end. And I think that's why I've always studied um, just to have a, a something consistent where I can still feel like I'm winning mm-hmm. in some mm. way where the feeling of like when I got my bar results recently and I passed the bar, it's Congratulations like- Congratulations, it. that's, <laughs> that's not <laughs> easy. That's amazing. That's not yeah, easy. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's something I had to learn to manufacture wins when I couldn't physically. Yeah. Um, and that's something I've always leaned on.
1: So I read, and if, if this is wrong, then let me know, but I read that they initially wanted you to, on the line, on the mm. lines and you were like, no, I wanna be a tight end. And they were cool with that. And can you compare that to the experience of just being in rugby and being like, you're, you're going to play this position. The fact that you had some agency in that mm. seems like another, was that like a moment where you were like almost a proof of why I should be here because I'm being listened to? Yeah,
3: also, it's, it's, I knew that if I was going to be successful in what was a Herculean task of even cracking the NFL, I had to enjoy it. Mm. Um, and for me, I could have either played um, defensive end, offensive tackle, or tight end. Uh, at the end of my first year with Steelers, Coach Tomlin sat me down and said, you either got to come up or come down because I was in between in terms of my weight. So you either got to come up and play with the big boys in the trenches, or you've got to come down and be quickest. So that's why my second year, I don't think there was a, an ounce of fat on me really. I think I got down to like 8% body fat, 119, kilo, 119 kilograms. And, and I was so much faster as well, but just because Rugby is just continuous movement, whereas I'm a power athlete and Mm. NFL was geared towards me maximizing those skills. So I was 10 times faster than I had ever been in rugby. Um, And I knew that if I had the opportunity to get my hands on the ball, albeit occasionally, I would enjoy the process more and tight end position rewards being intelligent. So you have to know the second most of the quarterback, you gotta know the run game, blocking protection, as well as the passing game. So you're a hybrid player, hybrid player so that's actually helped me with my broadcasting now where the time i was out there i had to learn the game inside out from a schematic point of view Mm -hmm. rather than just learning okay i'll just look inside the box or i'll just deal with outside bits i had to learn everything um so it really gave me a holistic view of what football is um to the point where in my last year i was sitting in offensive line meetings making sure i knew what they were doing and then because i knew all the installs back to front because i used to have Q cards I go through every single night because as a foreign player, if you don't know your alignment and assignment, you don't know the play. That's on you. You just haven't put the time in. Mm-hmm. If you if you drop a ball, that's a football mistake. Mm-hmm. I've been playing football for that long, so I said that I refused to have a system error. Mm. So it got to the point where my offensive coordinator and position coach didn't ask me questions unless it was to correct someone else who have been playing their whole life. <laughs> so I was playing to my strengths. So I, I knew I could figure it out um, because it's, it's like, imagine you're at uni and you get tested on the first year syllabus every year. Mm, yeah, Do you know what I mean? So it's like, you can keep adding layers and depth to what you know. Um, so I knew playing tight end would allow me to draw my super strength, which was this, mm. as well as maximize the rest of it and get my hands on the ball and score some touchdowns.
1: <laughs> I want to ask one inside baseball question. What what does it feel like when there's a run play, but the guard kind of pulls and is running directly at you? That must be a fear. <laughs> bit. you must you must be terrified, Too right? Deep, man. No, no, no. What does it feel like when it, there is a guy who's like twenty eight stone is flying at you, and his whole job is to put you in the dirt? What is that? What in that moment there must be there must be fear, right?
3: Nah, because you, you're a competitor, aren't you? So the reality is, it's like uh, you know you see those mountain goats that just <laughs> butt heads. you know? yeah. You've got to be willing to do it, basically. you got to be willing to just put your face in the fire sometimes. And it's whoever flinches first, it's, it's a game of chicken. And especially when you get to that level where I'd never been thrown around properly before in my life, mm-hmm. but because it's so much technique to everything and all the movements, as well as I was giving up probably twenty kilos to some guys at times, which is which is, which is tough. Like some guys are 150, 160 <laughs> plus ki- kilograms. Mm. And they're they're quick and, and the way that they can strike you with violence as well, um, you don't you don't get body types like that in mm-hmm. any other sport, mm-hmm. especially in the trenches. So when you've got a pulling guard and you see them going and then you hear the crack of the helmet and the shoulder pads, it it's a good job the wearing a helmet and shoulder pads. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's a lot of words to say. You got lit up. <laughs> uh, you can't Google that. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to I think it'd be remiss we uh just um on time it would be remiss of us not to talk about you you were in Pittsburgh, in fact probably no better place in the NFL to be when sort of George Floyd was murdered mm. um just with who Mike Tomlin is as a person and what a leader he's like in that locker room and across the league. What what was the what was it like being being in the country at that time? What was it like amongst the players? Um, and what's your experience as as a, as a black man, but a black a black Brit uh, mm. in the in the US at the moment?
3: Uh, it was definitely sobering. I think um, internationally, everyone felt it, and then particularly like the weight of the black community felt mm. it extra strongly. But the place that sport and athletes have in terms of the community in America. I don't know that there's another country that has the same um, mm. platform or level of importance where even if you're a college athlete, you walk down the street, you're a big body. What do you play? Who do you play for? Yeah. Mm. And there's a fan base and there's a there's a role attached within the community. Um, so when I was with the Steelers with our rookie development, we'd go to the children's hospitals regularly and um, play with the kids there. And it, it meant so much, whereas, um, I'd say, especially in terms of black success and black visibility of black role models, there isn't the same presence within the community in England, we have seen like Marcus Rashford and, and, mm. and people like that doing more now, but the history of social justice, um, whether it's going back to Muhammad Ali um, and Bill Russell and people like that, there's a, there's a platform and a voice attached within the civil rights legacy. Um, and for me to be part of, uh, an organization that has a rooney rule for example which yeah. is uh, aimed at trying to increase um the diversity of coaching within the nfl but to have coach tomlin steer the ship in that circumstance and he gave a platform because obviously it's during covid everything's on zoom zoom meetings mm. gave a platform for everyone to voice how they felt uh, about what was happening and then what impact they could have mm. within the community because um I think within the NFL obviously there's the the legacy of kneeling that's why I think yeah. it, it ended up translating over here um, yeah. for football but the visibility aspect of it but more I guess I've come back with a renewed sense of purpose behind it in terms of what I was doing in terms of living in my own safe space and safe box isn't enough. Um, it's what am I doing to impact the lives of others and make it better? So like now I'm on um, the RFU judicial panel for the discrimination and um, inclusivity where if there are instances of people feeling ostracized within rugby throughout the whole tree and incidents of racism or um, sexism or gender discrimination, there's now a panel that has been set up specifically to deal with those issues. And that was something that actively pursued in terms of when I came back, I couldn't just be successful on my own. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. wasn't enough. And I saw that from how he chose to lead us in that situation because people were deeply effective. One of the coaches, um uh, John Mitchell, was the first black player to have a, a scholarship to Alabama. Wow. And he was our, our assistant head coach at the time. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of history and black history within that building um, between him and Coach Tomlin and others. And it was something that I hadn't been able to experience because outside of my family, I'd never been coached by a black person mm-hmm. in my life until I got there. And so it, it, it left me with um, a new sense of self, a new sense of acceptance, a new sense of being able to, I guess, exhale and not have to carry the burden of what I didn't realize I was carrying throughout my rugby career, which I think fundamentally also fed into me not playing in my second year, mm-hmm. um, fed into me leaving the sport Um, so effectively I left the sport three times Um, second year at university when I left Worcester and went to America and then when I finally left and then stopped playing last summer Mm. um, all for different reasons but I guess at the core is acceptance and understanding um, which I couldn't say I had within rugby once I'd left school because I was with my friends my peers who are still my best friends to this day but then as soon as you go into a more competitive landscape, I didn't feel like I was exposed to true competition because I wasn't given a fair crack at the Mm -hmm. whip because Mm -hmm. I was fourth choice and the people playing ahead of me, I didn't think should be playing ahead of me.
1: How many Christian Scotland Williamson's do you think have been lost to the sport because they're not willing to go through what you went through? Look at Christian Wade, um, another RGS High Wycombe
3: alumni who, Um, I had a chat with, I was like, you need to get over here, go to the Bills. <laughs> so I <laughs> got over to the Bills. First but touchdown. Exactly, he's got similar, I've got one one start in the premiership, one cap for England, one cap for Lions. Mm. One of the most prolific, prolific try scorers in England, in English history, lost to a system. And there's been players who haven't scored at the clip that he has, but again, it was instead of, what the, what American football does, is what do you do well mm. that's gonna help us win? Do that. We'll cover up the rest of it whereas rugby is oh yeah you do this to a world-class standard but all this other stuff we can't make up for so it's almost like it rewards mediocrity and being yeah. great at a lot of stuff but not exceptional and world-class because you can't tell me that especially in the era that christian was playing in when he was at his prime that there were four better wingers than him you
1: can't you can look at the try scoring record i had a look at them today and he's still third and he left at like 27 exactly and he's st- and he, and now and when he came back to rugby he went to France mm-hmm. which i find fascinating mm-hmm. yeah um
0: and then you came back <laughs> <laughs> um why law
3: why law That's a good question um so my dad's a barrister um a criminal barrister and it's it's something with deep personal meaning i've looked back recently at my yearbook from when i was leaving primary school and i put categorically talk, talk about manifestation future career barrister no, nothing mentioned rugby nothing mentioned american football it was barrister because both of my parents got their degrees um while i was alive so i saw the struggle in terms of um picking my brother and i up for school my dad was working night shifts with the police force as well um and he had a a bottleneck and ceiling put on him uh, by the force, which is basically like, you're not gonna go any higher than this. Mm. And so my mum encouraged him, instead of doing A-levels, do a law degree, go from that, be a barrister. And it's been interesting to, m- to me to have the luxury of fearlessness in terms of my career prospects. That's but, a bar, by the way.
1: <laughs> the luxury of fearlessness is a bar. <laughs> Let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it, Because. I have been raised by a strong women and, and a strong man who's, through his actions, my dad's shown me what's possible, but through the nurturing, caring words and support, my mum's taught me that I can do anything and I've, I've always believed that. Whereas when my dad, I feel like at times was transitioning to the bar, which has not been a welcoming space for um, people of other cultures and it's, it's a traditional, it's very institutionally, um, uh, British and the access has to be Oxbridge and the pipeline for Oxford and Cambridge I had an interview for Oxford didn't get it I was the only black kid the whole weekend yeah. when I when I had the interview um, and again the difference between one yes one no is completely different because then now I'm finding when I'm applying for certain chambers they only select from Oxbridge but if the pipeline on the back on the beginning mm, yeah. doesn't let you get in then it means you you can't have a chance of operating at the top end in in the bar so While I was at primary school, I saw my dad studying and doing nights and and he'd say he's falling asleep in class and stuff because he's struggling to keep up. But then now I've done the bar, it's given me an immense and profound respect for him to be able to do that while having two kids at home, while being married. Um, And so I guess that must've by osmosis filtered into my consciousness where when I was 10 years old, I wrote in my yearbook, I was gonna be a barrister, which is why I knew like coming full circle now, passing the bar, was a huge moment for me because it's like, well, this is what I wanted to do all along. And it just so happens that what I've experienced in my professional career as a player has given me the reason for why it was the right decision when mm-hmm. I was 10, but I didn't really know why I would need those skills.
0: Mm. It made me think of uh It does make me think of Uncle Phil. And I, I think of the parallels like in that family. And we talk about this a lot, Fresh Prince and Uncle Phil was a he was a lawyer. He was a judge, wasn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He was a judge, and I think what are the other parallels. Well, <laughs> he was an like, athlete. Yeah. Uncle Phil was played. He was, he was, he was a college football, football board was, yeah. at Brown. He was. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> he was. He was. He was bold. Your man yeah, bold. Yeah, of course. Exactly. That's it. How many more do you need? <laughs> um, and it's it's funny. We were going to delve originally. I thought you know we. Need to delve more into family, but I feel like your family's kind of ever present in mm-hmm. everything you do and the stories you tell. And you've mentioned the crash a few times that you were in with your mum. Mm. and it's they're just sort in the background these stories. And you you sound quite self-driven, but it, it, in a way, are you <laughs> are you also just without admitting it to yourself, like quite driven by the success around you? Well, I, w-
3: is- I would say it's it's making the sacrifice worthwhile, Mm. Um, seeing the struggle. And I guess fundamentally progress is born from pain. So it's seeing the struggle and injustice and lack of opportunity, despite still being brilliant, that the generation above weren't afforded. Mm. So that now that luxury of fearlessness is I have a platform, sports giving me a platform to now enter the space that I always wanted to be in at a much higher altitude than I would have if I just say, gone to university and then been banging the door down, trying to be a barrister. Whereas now it's it's much more of a realistic ambition and goal. And I feel like having, so my, my, my granddad used to ride a horse around the Caribbean as a police officer um, in Dominica before he moved over Windrush generation and was a carpenter. And again, to go back to what I said before, education, beat book, a man with knowledge is unfit to be a slave. And as a big black man, I've had moments in my playing career where I was talked down to by certain people where I was, had certain discussions that have never sat well with me and I didn't have a voice. And so now as a barrister, where it's predominantly advocacy-based, I use my voice and my study and acquisition of the skill is what's given me safety and empowerment and so I, I now understand the value in it more. Mm. And especially given the platform I have now, it's I have the technical knowledge and skill to then hopefully be a mouthpiece for the voiceless and mm. people who were in positions that I've been in personally where I didn't know who to turn to. And even though I could lean on my parents, I had to go through certain experiences on my own yeah. to drive me to this point.
0: That's phenomenal. Um, if we're, I mean, we'll try and get, more in but it's I, I did just want to touch on on if anyone's seen the Deli Alley interview mm-hmm. and you said a lot there sort of progress f- born from pain like that guy um it, it's incredible to me that he is even one alive two was able to get to that point in life that, that he did carrying that weight with him mm. um I, I don't know what you, what you I
2: just I, I I just wish that it wouldn't be such a short-term memory situation whenever something like this happens because I don't want to draw too many parallels, but mm. Caroline Flack, when that happened, mm. everyone was really, really aware of mental health for about two weeks. Mm. And then it went back to piling and onto people on social media. And we're going to get the same again with Delhi Allies, other people that are going to have that situation in football. And there's so many people that be in a very similar situation to where Delhi is. And mm. it's heartbreaking, but I just is it going to stick eventually? I don't, I don't think it will. The amount of times that I've had these conversations in group chats and there's people that I think are really, really smart, intelligent people saying such ridiculous things. And I'm like, but you don't know that person. Mm-hmm. You don't know what is going and You don't know their story. So how can you have this opinion of them? Uh, what was it? I saw something recently where um, I think it was a basketball player that was talking about, if you have a problem with me, call me, if you don't have my number, then have you got a problem with me? Like, mm. like that's that's the way a lot of these things should mm. be people have an opinion
1: on things that they don't know anything about so is interesting. when you said Caroline Flack I I thought of Caroline Flack but for a slightly different reason he states in the interview that he was pro- he's probably not ready to have the interview but there was basically tabloid pressure exactly and, and that's, that's where my mind where yeah. immediately went to that they're going to you know the, the the inferences that they're going to out him and and again it's that idea of once certain people become public property mm. almost yeah. and that's, before we kind of get into whether we're gonna kind of stop about the piling on, We I think there has to be this fundamental change of like, you know, like you made a great tackle, you can catch a football. It doesn't mean that I get to be like, hey, yo, come take this picture with me. But mm, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm having dinner. Like. <laughs> and I think that's where, that's where perhaps a discussion needs to be had. Why do we feel this sense that we that people who are in the public eye owe us anything other yeah. than their performance on the pitch mm-hmm. for, for Dali Alley or, you know, behind the camera for actors or whatever it is.
0: And it, it's, the thing for me is, as as a young man, where he didn't really have anywhere else to go, he didn't have anyone to talk to. And it's, it's I've, we've heard you talk about sort of your experience with different coaches and different systems and you're fortunate to be sort of, an individual who was who had a sort of family support network around you and other things and there are countless young men and women out there who don't have that and that can be that must be a really sort of isolating situation when suddenly you're out in the cold and there is no mm. there is no plan b and you can't afford to be fearless because th- there's yeah. nothing else there and your entire life and career is in someone else's hands and that's even without the potential that you're carrying around, that baggage with you from from mm. other things going on. Mm.
1: And that that is a huge difference. Like I, Listening to your story, I kind of, I get emotional. Cause I'm like, you, you've had the experience I wish so many people have, and particularly so many men of color where you've had a family network that have been there. You talk about the luxury of fearlessness. And, and I guess underneath that, there's a sense, if I mess up, it's not that they're going to kind of Tell me it's all right, but they will be there, mm. and and that is so so powerful. And so many uh, men, and particularly, I don't want to say particularly black men, but black men from my experience don't have that that you have to f- search to find your father figures. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, your father figures don't even realize they're your father figures. Mm. You know, my headmaster at my primary school was a father figure because he kept me in the school when the kid was racist towards me. Some of my old coaches, the same thing, but you know, they were imperfect and they, they didn't just love me unconditionally. Um, mm. So yeah, I think that's, I think that doing all the things that you've done is a real testament to you first and foremost, and, and the value of kind of, kind of a, a, a unit that is there. And I kind of yeah, massive, mm. massive respect.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, it's definitely, it's definitely priceless. I look at um, the situation, particularly when I left America, um, I couldn't walk. I went from 120 kilos lean to 143 kilos fat and messy um, mentally in in a real dungeon, like proper dungeon. That had to. Um, I got strong faith that's been inherited from my parents as well. So like, I had to turn to the scripture to really like dig myself out of because it was it was so bad that like you, you have to turn to God because He's the one that will mm-hmm. make oh. sense of it all um, and having the the reality of I, I moved back home. I hadn't lived at home since I was 11. And it was quite a cathartic experience of, I'd spent from 11 till 28 away, just trying to work for myself for a better life and all this stuff. And then I found myself having had the highs of the highs in the NFL, those moments that would last a lifetime to then hitting rock bottom. And then I started my law degree um, when I came back to try and dig myself out of that hole again but the constant throughout that was both my parents and um so I almost lost my dad to covid um he was on a ventilator um for i think nine days in hospital while I was in America, and like dealing with my my own health issues, and even the experience of covid uh, within the the minority community is unequal yeah. mm-hmm. um and so the realities behind that where someone who I've cherished was potentially gonna be gone where I was in America, might not see them again, which so many families did face that reality. I was lucky that he was able to battle through, but still dealing with issues from that. But the one constant is is love, it's support, it's um, that unconditional side. And and that's something that I'm extremely grateful because having grown up with a two-parent household, that is a luxury and luxury of fearlessness that's what built into that luxury of fearlessness because I had my mum who was the rock who built three men into giants of men. And then my dad who modeled the behavior, who when he wasn't there, he wasn't there for good reasons. Mm. He was working, do you know what I mean? Mm. A lot of people have one person who has to play both roles, Mm. which is incredibly challenging. And that's why success means different things you can't judge everyone by the same beginning point and um, that's something that I definitely don't take for granted I think that's what's propelled me to do so much is having both of them support me unconditionally and then beyond that as well it's like if I could be a role model and be a mouthpiece or even just an ear who's going to listen to someone who doesn't have the father figure that I've had why wouldn't I?
1: place, yeah, Great space to live in.
0: Minister, <laughs> thank you very much for that. That's been a pleasure, Christian. Dom, Jello, we out.